Why are mysterious disappearances so fascinating to us as a culture? What makes us continue talking about them after decades have passed? Unfortunately, most people who disappear do so without a trace. It's incidents like these that make me wonder if there is something much less human going on. I feel like we all have an innate tendency to wonder about the dark and macabre things that cannot be solved by science and... Sometimes we avoid them because our brains can't come up with a logical explanation. They keep us guessing. Even with our technological advancements and scientific accomplishments, there are still some things in our world that may never be explainable. In the case of Stephen Kubaki, when he vanished in the Michigan Triangle, investigators sought out the most mundane reason for his disappearance, even though none of the pieces added up. They open and shut the case without a second thought. Nothing within their investigation should have led to their conclusion. The known is so much more comfortable than the actual reality of some situations. For Stephen, the fact was that he disappeared without a trace. He did not fall through the ice, drown, or run away. Within the blink of an eye, he was gone. Stephen's community was terrified since no one could provide them with an explanation that answered all of their questions. That alone terrified his community so immensely that they accepted a false reality and simply stopped searching for him. But these conclusions would soon be proven wrong. What happened to him? Was there a more sinister force at play? These are all things that Griff and I want to find out. I would be surprised if there weren't similar cases to Stevens around the world. Can we find a connection between them, or is there simply no human explanation? Last season, we investigated Anatoly Moskvin, and as strange as his story was, nothing can compare to some of the leads we have investigated in Stephen's disappearance. Nothing can compare to the unknown. Hey guys, welcome back to season two of The Haunted Detective. Oh my god, this is crazy. I'm your favorite host and paranormal believer, Kelsey Child, but most of you know me as the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. I Okay, I still don't think people call you that. I'm Griff. I'm a skeptic. I swear like 10 people called me that yesterday. I know we've been down this road, but I okay. totally am. I just feel like telling people to call you something and being called something are different. I don't think so. I, I think that um I, I, I definitely have never told anyone to call me that. Hey, hey, Griff, can you call me the paranormal Sherlock Holmes really quick just for like documentation? Absolutely not. I'll do it when you deserve it. (sighs) Fine. Well, it's time to open a brand new case file into the disappearance and reappearance of Stephen Kubaki. Let's get into it. Michigan is notoriously cold in the winter, especially in the month of February. For 23-year-old college student Stephen Kubaki, he didn't mind the brisk air. He was an adventurer and experienced mountaineer who was used to facing undesirable elements head-on. But in 1978, everything would change for Stephen and his family. On a solo cross-country skiing trip, he would vanish, leaving behind no sensical clues as to where he could have gone, thus beginning the disappearance of Stephen Kubaki. Now, when you say cross-country ski trip, are you saying that they're physically skiing across the country, or do you mean they're, like, lodge hopping? So, uh, cross-country skiing is, like, I guess it's technically a sport. Okay. Um, I feel like there's a lot of country that don't got no snow in it. I, it's, it's refers to long-distance ski walking, almost. It's not like they're actually, yeah. Oh, you mean, like, like how cross-country... 
running isn't like actually across the country it's just like kind of really long yes it's just kind of really gotcha. long yeah so and, he and, but it's not real skis what do you mean is like the is like the tennis shoe shit no like the, it, where the shoes look like tennis rackets <laughs> no not snowshoeing um like the, like the mush shoes um no so he's he has skis on and he has two ski poles but it's mm-hmm. more of like an act of walk sliding then it's stupid how is why is that a sport (laughs) it's actually really really challenging and a lot of marathoners oh oh what do you what what sport do you play oh i do competitive sock sliding across hardwood floors (laughs) just take those old (laughs) records off the shelf yeah like that but competitively it's I mean, hey, Griff, if you ever want to go cross-country skiing, we can go together and then you can tell me that it's really easy. Ooh, I do not want to do that. That sounds cold and wet. Two things I don't like being. Well, anyways, something bad happened on February 21st, 1978. That's what two snowmobile riders assumed when they stumbled upon abandoned ski gear while out riding in Saugatuck, Michigan an area with terrain that was difficult to navigate and rough weather. They immediately contacted the authorities because the scene before them was not only concerning, but it did not make sense. So, like, if you found abandoned gear, whether it was in cold weather areas or on a hiking trail, what what would you do? Uh, literally ignore it and pretend I did not see it. And also, I wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be there? No, absolutely not. I'm not going to hike on a trail that's abandoned. Or I'm not going to hike on the trail where not a lot of foot traffic is happening. I actually... I need need the comfort of others around me. I was was out running and like there are really no trails in Austin, Texas that don't get a lot of foot traffic. But for some reason on this day, this one really popular trail had like no one on it. And Mm -hmm. I was running on the phone and i just heard a crash and a scream and i was like oh no here we go something's about to happen and it turns out this biker had like eaten shit and he was lying Mm. face down in the dirt and i called Mm. my dad my dad's like this might be a setup kelsey don't do anything don't do anything yeah see i would have never investigated that i simply would have walked in the opposite direction that's why white women jogging are always finding bodies he he was he, just to clarify he was alive mm. i called mm-hmm. ems fire department mm-hmm. came he shattered his mm-hmm. hubris bone on his shoulder mm-hmm. which is like very tragic but like mm-hmm. you're telling me you would have just kept going yep oh i i think that's fair i i that sounds like a setup like your dad said <laughs> uh i would have uh been like next people i found i'd be like hey do you date shit over there my phone's dead you should take care of it i um i would definitely be the first to die in a horror movie because i would be like I told them. I told them. I like wouldn't be able to leave it alone. I would go back to the the killer and be like, "Hey, why are you doing this, man? You got to stop. This is really uncool." That's crazy. <laughs> they immediately contacted the authorities because the scene before them was not only concerning, but it just didn't make sense. Stephen Kubaki was an experienced outdoorsman and mountaineer, as were other people who set off on an adventure in that area. It wasn't unlike him to use his free time to go and wander. He was used to braving cold weather, mountainous terrain, and other undesirable conditions. So when he ventured out for a day-long solo cross-country skiing trip, no one really thought anything of it. No one expected him to simply vanish. But once an air and land search was conducted, it became obvious that the abandoned gear belonged to him. How is it that an experienced man, such as Steven, would disappear and leave behind his skis and backpack? I'm going to be like 
candid for a second. I was running okay. in Sacramento once and I got so lost because Why are you always running. <laughs> I like running, okay? That's fucked up. So I was running and because there is normally a lot of water in the lake where I was and it was very, very low, my GPS was picking me up in the lake. So I got really, really lost and I couldn't find the way back to my car and I had to call the sheriff's office. And so like, I'm very experienced with running and like the outdoors and like navigating. But in this uh-huh. instance, I was not very experienced and I had to beg them what not to call that? a helicopter. And yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, see, I, that's just why I simply do not do that <laughs> or anything of the like or, or the sort, really, uh, to avoid uh, situations uh, that put me in peril. I actually just learned through the firefighters that I met the other day, there is an app called What Three Words app. And why are you meeting firefighters? Because of the, the one biker. <laughs> okay okay this is not an ad i promise but what three words app will actually like find your location if you ever get lost and it's a really good resource since we're talking about someone getting lost on a trail yeah smartphone would have prevented all this (laughs) true the only other clue as to where he could have gone was a 200 yard path of footprints that when authorities followed it led past the edge of the lake and stopped without warning The ice was unbroken and unaffected, yet the police automatically chalked it up to a case of drowning. They believed that Stephen had fallen through the ice and died, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, I that's a that's certainly a leap. Yeah, I mean, the ice wasn't touched. Stephen wasn't missing long enough for someone who knew him to report it let alone the area in which she supposedly fell to freeze back over. It just, it feels like, okay, what is actually going on here? Yeah, no, it definitely feels like uh, the police not doing their jobs. Wow, so shocking. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Like That's never happened before, ever in the history of crime fighting. Never. Uh, like, wow, look, look at these footprints. They lead to the water. He definitely fell through this ice that is perfectly in perfect condition and, and drowned. That's the only exactly. explanation. Yeah. But like, my other thing is what would have prompted Steven to wander out onto presumably treacherous ice in the first place? Like he was experienced. It was very clear where the ice was walkable and where it wasn't and he would have known how to handle dangerous situations and what not to do so Mm -hmm. in a shocking instance it feels like the police just wanted to stop searching and call it a day yeah Yeah. nobody wants to work anymore no one this generation is so lazy even though this was like two decades ago three decades ago (laughs) not only that a a billion years ago yeah oh yeah not only that, but Stephen had gone cross-country skiing in that area before, so he easily could have already known the area and places to avoid, to further these points. He was a smart, liberal kid studying at a conservative college. He knew how to forge his own path and still find success in doing so. He was passionate about the things that mattered to him and the people in his circle, so that's just to say, I don't think he ran away either, which is also the other assumption that law enforcement likes to jump to. Oh, he's over 18 years old. He definitely just ran away. Mm, that's not true, actually, Kelsey. Uh, 
If they're under 18, they also assume they just ran away. <laughs> so Makes my their bad. jobs easier that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. I Assumptions, what is it? Make for a good investigator? Or is it making, that's the saying making at all. ass out of out of the person that ran away? That's what it is. That's how police view it. Hey, that's close enough. What? Um, here we go. Maybe you got maybe you got snow madness. Like he's just maybe he's driven mad by the driven snow. You know, like a, a hypothermia, frostbite symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Like how like the sun can like cook your brain. Like maybe the 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 fucking uh, snow got to him. The, the sun can cook your brain. What? You're gonna have yeah, to elaborate. The, yeah, if you're in the sun too long, it'll scramble your brain like an egg. Yeah. Also, if you look at the sun for too long, you go blind. Well, that don't do that. <laughs> no one should be doing that anyway. The disappearance seems clean cut enough, which is why we are not investigating that. It's what happens next that has really piqued. I'm going to say our interest because it will pique your interest once I explain this to you. It was May 5th, 1979, 15 months after Stephen had vanished when the young man came to in a field in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Just for reference, Pittsfield is 700 miles east of Saugatuck. Obviously, Stephen was extremely confused. The last thing he remembered was being in Michigan with his gear. Now there was no snow on the ground, the terrain was different, and it was strangely warm. Stephen wandered towards civilization until he was able to find a newspaper. Now he knew how much time had passed. I, I presume that when something like seeing a random person being like, hey, like, what year is it? And then just looking at him like he had 10 heads. Yeah, that, I mean, that's like a fucking no one expects to get that question. What time is it? What day is it? What's the weather? Where am I? Who are you? Where's my family? You're not my wife. How did I get here? That's like normal questions that you would expect a stranger to ask you on the street. No one is gonna. The, the a year is so broad that that would be. I would feel very, very. I would feel like I didn't know what year it was if somebody said, "Hey, what year is it?" And then I'd be like, "Well, fuck. What year is it? Maybe I don't know if he doesn't know." I saw this one uh, Tumblr post way back when, and it was like. Anytime you fall in public in front of a person, just gather yourself, get back up and mumble loud enough for them to hear limbs, limbs. This this body has too many limbs, too many limbs. I need to fix that in the next phase and then just wander off. I don't think anyone should do that. I, I would do that. That. Sounds, that sounds like how you get free grippy socks. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> grippy sock vacation. Possibly the strangest part were the items that Stephen had on him, indicating that he had lived some sort of life while missing for those 15 months. He was wearing clothes that weren't his own. He did not recognize them at all. On his person was a backpack with hitchhiking signs and maps. It was as if he traveled through Sacramento, San Francisco, Reno, Chicago, and Utah. Stephen also had $40, new glasses, running shoes, and a shirt from a Wisconsin marathon. Okay. So he was busy. He was a busy boy. I don't know, maybe went to a fugue state and just did a Forrest Gump, you know? That is definitely a possibility, and that is one of the things we will be discussing. Fugue state, full Gump. Also, like, I don't know, if I had, like, a nickel for every time I woke up somewhere, didn't know where I was, and had someone else's clothes on, I'd have, like, like three nickels, which is not <laughs> that many, but it, it is weird that it happened three times. I had a friend that um, woke up after being blackout drunk, and he had just, like, baked beans all over his body. Oh, he must be British. Nope. Oh, uh, well. Yes, no. 
To further this mystery, his body was sore in ways that were indicative of him actually having run that Wisconsin marathon. Well, yeah, they'll just fucking give those t-shirts to anybody. You gotta earn them. Or you just, like, pull them out of a trash because... No, you earn them. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. You do stolen valor? (laughs) You do stolen marathon valor? Do you even run? Were you even jogging? Did you push that biker? (laughs) (laughs) What? How did we get there? Sus. Steven knew that he was only 20 miles from his aunt's house and made his way over there. Soon enough, he had reunited with his entire family who had gone to sleep just the night before, still mourning his loss. So that's weird. That's spooky spooky. That's pretty weird, for sure. But again, to further the mystery, Stephen didn't vanish from just anywhere. He disappeared inside the very notorious Michigan Triangle. And you might be thinking, didn't you mean the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, I thought, uh, what, what is the Michigan Triangle? So before we go into that, there are other triangles around the world that are far more ominous than the infamous Bermuda one. Spanning across a large portion of Lake Michigan, this triangle has its points in Benton Harbor, Manitowoc, and Ludington. Ludington sounds like it belongs in, like, the UK. Like, tally-ho, we're going to Ludington. I feel like a lot of those names sound English. Yeah. From UFO sightings to dimensional tears, the Michigan Triangle is a hotspot for anyone who is a fan of quantum physics. Well, the more unusual side of this study field... Strange occurrences in this area can be easily traced back to the 17th century. People have attributed the weird phenomena here to an energy vortex. Basically... What do you mean by energy vortex? Oh my god, what is an energy vortex? So, basically, it's... Uh, it's it's like a certain area that emits a sort of sacred and powerful energy. These are usually associated with positive things like manifestation, growth, and healing. But in some instances, energy vortexes can be very, very bad. Um, it's also a running theory for the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I just I just feel like any kind of I've never heard of a positive vortex of you. Um. I've never heard vortex used in a positive connotation. It's always bad or destructive and not good. A portal, also known as a ley line, is said to run down the center of the lake and is related to a Stonehenge found in 2007. Yippee! (laughs) (laughs) Stonehenges are very exciting, okay? Is that a genre? Of oddity? I thought Stonehenge was one place. There are several Stonehenges. Stonehenge technically refers to the structure and manner of it. Uh-huh. But there is the Stonehenge, and then there are other Stonehenges that have been discovered around the world. That's, that's quite silly. Okay. <laughs> so most of these disappearances we will be discussing are related to boats and planes crossing the lake, but it doesn't make their stories any less strange. So we're going to start in 1679 and kind of go down in a kind of consecutive timeline of these weird disappearances. And we're just going to really be talking about the oddest of them. So in 1679, the Le Griffon, a 45-ton bark, 
was the largest ship of its time on the Great Lakes. It set sail near the Cayuga Island along the Niagara River with 32 crew members. They went from Lake Erie to Lake Huron until the boat made it to Lake Michigan. They made a stop on an island to gather animal pelts from the local tribes. On September 18th, they headed back to Niagara. And I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, but it's I guess it's become the running joke of this podcast is that I can't pronounce anything correctly, so don't judge me. No, it'll be fine. Just uh, everyone will tell us so many times forever until we die that it's mispronounced. And that's your cross to bear, honestly. Yeah, honestly, this it's my thing. So don't blame Griff on this. Once they entered the area known as Green Bay, the 40 foot ship and all of its 32 crew members just vanished like poof gone. It was common back then for ships to sink or worse, but typically there's a wreckage or remnants of a catastrophe like, wow, look at those supplies or I'm thinking of Assassin's Creed. Don't judge me. Look, (laughs) look at that shipwreck over there. There were I feel like a, a sound something. Yeah, a sound. I mean, there are enough ships on the lake and it's not a mass. I mean, it's big, but it's not like the ocean, you know, so it's not massive enough that you wouldn't have seen anything yeah it wouldn't be engulfed like fully like without any anyone anything knowing that's crazy yeah so to this day no one has located any clues as to where the ship and its crew could have gone and the thing about the great lakes um kind of similar to lake superior is that like they're cold enough that you can still find clues Unlike the ocean and other places, there's like just something about them where you can, there are a lot of shipwrecks there. Fascinating. So one thing that really scares me are like the concept is the concept of ghost ships. And it's like, you know, they're look at that ship floating. There's no one on that ship. It's empty and looming and feels very dangerous. Let's go explore it. Do you, do you like, you come in contact with a lot of ghost ships in your day-to-day? How often are you at sea? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. The ocean is a giant bowl of murder soup. I do not venture out onto the ocean. Yeah, no, I don't fuck with the ocean either. It's too big and too scary. It's like, much like I mentioned with mysterious disappearances, it is too infinitely unknown for me. It's just like, for me, it's eerie about like so many people going missing without their ship on a body of water Mm -hmm. like an entire ship vanishing doesn't scare me as much it's ooky spooky but not like ghost ship the horror movie you know yeah the Roosevelt was a schooner that was built with the intention of cargo shipmen. In 1875, a ferry found the boat upside down. Uh, they're not supposed to be like that. No, 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 they're not. They're usually upside down usually indicates that it is not what it's supposed to be, which is right side up. Exactly, 100%. Mm. The 10-person crew had vanished. The ship was then turned upright and returned to the docks to continue service, which personally I think is in poor taste. Like, wow, 10 people that were, like, on this ship just disappeared. We don't yeah, know. No, I, that that feels like, uh, again, it's not an ocean. I feel like you can dredge that up. Yes. And they tried. But they were, like, gone. And they were like, wow, let's just, you know, this <laughs> this ship did something really weird. There was no storm, no reason it should have capsized. We're just going to return it back to service. Like, not even thinking about the fact that, like, there could have been something structurally <laughs> wrong with the ship. 
Yeah, like maybe there was like a human shaped hole at the bottom that they all kept falling through. <laughs> a vortex. Think about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was a portal in the bottom of the ship. <laughs> exactly. Captain, what is this gaping black hole at the bottom of our ship? It seems Remove to have boop. no end. Gotta investigate it. It's okay. First mate, we'll just continue sailing with this gaping black hole at the bottom of our ship. Uh-huh. Then in 1921, her captain, Ed Johnson, had a premonition that something terrible would happen aboard the ship. He refused to leave on the Rosabelle and was replaced. A few days later, the boat was found capsized yet again, with its stern missing. So this, like, typically indicates... The uh, the sterns don't go missing unless there's a collision. (laughs) That sounds... That's insane. That's, like, a huge part of a ship. Yes, so you got one boat, another boat, boom, crash, or you got land, boat, boom, crash. But again, that's like not something that just happens and no one takes notice of. Exactly. So some sources say that a storm turned her over and others simply do not claim to know. But what we know for sure that it was later detailed after an investigation that there are no like collisions that happened at the time so like there were no other boats that were damaged there was nothing that happened on like land or rocks or whatever unless they both no that doesn't make any sense that's just yeah okay uh maybe they just fucking fucked off they just abandoned the ship they just did a heist and then they stole stuff and they got on a tinier ship they got on a dinghy and then they like went away well like but they did that the the well, I mean this wasn't like an insignificant sized boat, you know. This was like ten people, right? Yeah, but that's still like again that's enough people to fuck off on a dinghy. Well, okay, so the mass collided with some invisible force. Okay. And the crew was missing again. And you think this is all vortex based? I I don't know. I honestly, okay. it's weird. It's mysterious. It's spooky. Uh-huh. It's, um, I think that there's something to it when there are a lot of mysterious events in one localized area. And, you know, there are more than one Great Lakes. There there are multiple. And I think it sounds like maybe some light embezzlement or fraud is afoot. How do you embezzle on a ship? It took all the stuff that was on there, the cargo. Um. Well, I don't. It, none of my sources said the cargo was missing. It just that the crew was yet again missing. Uh, maybe they weren't, you know, focused on that because they were like, "Oh, ten people are gone. What? That's weird. What? How'd that happen? Uh, they're not gonna. They're not gonna be like, what happened to all the salt or whatever. <laughs> whatever you put on a ship. Whatever you ship on a ship." Is it a ghost? Okay, how is it a ghost ship if they found it? Well, it's it's a is ghost it ship. A ghost ship because it's unmanned. Yes, it's a ghost ship if there are no crew attached to it. Maybe they all got kidnapped. Maybe pirates came and stole them. In Michigan, pirates in Michigan. Yeah, I. You never know. You never know. I don't trust anyone from the Dakotas. It seems like they would something they would do. I I will say though that last month we. Uh, we missed international talk like a pirate day. So I was very disappointed about that. Ahoy, uh, matey. Mm, I don't think that's how they talk. 
flashing forward to 1937, we have another bizarre disappearance. And I would personally say that this is the weirdest of them all, which is why I included it last. So, well, I mean, other than the fact that we're following a consecutive timeline, but we're just going to ignore that. Unlike some people. (laughs) Unlike some people. Talking about the guy we're talking about. Yes. Unlike some people, yes. It was April 28th aboard the OS McFarland freighter during a blood moon. She was captained by an experienced sailor by the name of George Donner. He was well-versed with navigating frozen lakes and wasn't any stranger to the dangers they beheld. So, navigating the waters in April, transporting coal from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin, should have been an easy task. At 10.20 p.m., Captain Donner, as witnessed by crew, retired to his quarters and told his first and second mate to wake him up once they neared Port Washington. This would take around three hours. And exactly at 1.20 a.m., April 29th, on Donner's birthday, the second mate went to wake him up. The door was locked from the inside. Much out of character, Donner did not answer the knocks on his door. First mate Charles Reicher joined the second mate in getting the master key to open the door, afraid that something medically could have happened, which I think is a very fair assumption. Oh yeah, absolutely. That should be the first thought, always. Yes, always. The room was empty with no signs of Donner. They searched the entirety of the ship, but to no avail. Body recovery efforts were made, but those also proved to be fruitless. It seems as if Donner had just vanished into thin air with the door locked behind him. Huh. Hate that. But again, also, this could be an elaborate hatch situation. Elaborate hatch? Yeah, he could have had an elaborate hatch somewhere they snuck out of. See, the thing is, is like, I believe that people are always paying attention. Like, if the captain of the ship is in his cabin, they know that he went Mm -hmm. in. They know when he went Mm -hmm. in. They know if he Mm -hmm. comes out. They don't. They don't. Anything could happen. Anything is possible. Again, I just feel like the 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 most obvious option is usually the answer. Sometimes. Maybe he fucked off. Maybe he fell off the boat. Like maybe he got super turnt and just <laughs> fell off the boat. Got super turnt. Well, with that in mind, possibly the oddest part of the Michigan Triangle is the underwater Stonehenge. Yay! You did mention that. You did mention the Stonehenge. Yes. Tell me about it. Um, there's not really much we know about it other than it was discovered in 2007. And people think that it has something to do with the odd disappearances and energy uh-huh. vortex. Okay. Do you, do you think that I and I already know what you're going to you're going to say, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I you know, I remain hopeful. Does this uh-huh. structure have anything to do with the odd disappearances? I'm going to say no. <laughs> I just don't I just don't I just feel like, you know, humans doing human stuff is it's just it's just way more likely. Humans are stupid. Exactly. Human error is responsible for so much stuff in the world. Why not this? But I will say there are other oddities about the area that Stephen vanished, such as an event that the crew of a tugboat named Mary McLean witnessed in 1883. They reported that for 30 minutes, giant blocks of ice fell from the clear sky and damaged their ship, and they actually kept a piece of ice to show off what actually happened and multiple people saw it, and they are like, wow, I can't believe that fell from the sky. And there were... Like hail. 
Um, no. Larger, like, block, like, you know those people that, like, cut ice and they, like, it's giant block, like, think frozen? Yeah. Yeah, like, that big. And it, their ship was damaged, too. And, like, that was documented and the ice they brought back was also documented. Hmm, interesting. Much like in other triangles, people also see weird lights and what they report as UFOs. In 1919, a large group witnessed strangely large lights floating above the triangle, which turned into two balls of fire. When these um, fireballs crashed, it elicited such a big explosion that it was later dubbed a meteor. Because, yeah, I meteors combine, I guess. <laughs> uh, again, we don't really know how space works. We don't, no. It is also important to note the rate at which ships go down in the triangle portion of Lake Michigan. And there are yearly expeditions done to find all of them, along with the various planes that have crashed into the waters and simply vanished. An official research team has concluded that approximately 1,500 wrecks live on the bottom of the lake. That's a lot. That's like too much. That's like, that's a no from me, dog. Lake Lake Michigan, you mean the Nope Lake in in Nope Land, in, in speaking the language of Nope. I mean, all bodies of water are a Nope to me. I prefer not to drown. Uh, so I, I try to I try to keep as far away from uh, that kind of thing as I can. I think that's I think that's a fair idea. I I support mm-hmm. this decision. Out of all the Thank things you. we dis we disagree on, I support mm-hmm. staying away from large bodies of water. I just feel like it's a sound decision that makes the most sense in terms of like, you know, general self-preservation. I'll be honest, though, my dog would not agree. Um, I've brought her to lakes and large bodies of water and all she does is swim in circles for hours. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, she's a dog (laughs) and they have no fear. No, she has many fears, many fears, not valid ones. We uh we went um hiking or I went for a run yesterday with her um and there's this like overlook that looks out over uh the Colorado River in Austin mm-hmm. and you had to scramble towards the end I had to like give her a little boosty boost up and pick her up and help her up the large boulders even though she definitely could have jumped that she was too scared to. Mm, yeah, I just feel like in the case of something like that uh if it seems to be that much of a challenge, maybe we weren't meant to do it. You know, yeah, you're not wrong. I'm just, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, I mean, okay. So to backtrack a little bit, we only discussed uh-huh. a, a few of the odd disappearances that gave the Michigan Triangle its name. There are many, many more, but it is important to note that there is a trend in the area where Stephen disappeared. Mm-hmm. But, however, although <laughs> this isn't the only triangle in the United States that stirs up questions, there are several. Okay, let's let's hear them. Let's hear them out. Well, first, um, is it possible that these areas are somehow connected? Okay, by like a some kind of supernatural like vortex system. Is that what you're saying? Maybe, maybe okay. you never know. Yeah, sure. Do you believe in aliens? Do I believe in aliens? Um, Absolutely. I mean, I don't think 
I, I hope we're not the only life out there because if we are, that's a huge bummer. Although I do believe that all forms of life, once they reach a level of sentience sim similar to ours, eventually uh, takes themselves out due to uh, acts of violence and does never and never progresses into the utopias that we think about the future being uh, because uh, life is pain. Life. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that. Life is pain. Yeah, so if there's aliens, they're just like us, and they're just as fucking stupid, and they're all killing each other constantly, just like we are. Yeah, so. but I... So, like... Okay, let's mm -hmm. let's let's iron out our beliefs for a second. Sure. Okay. Because a big part of the season, we are going to be talking about extraterrestrial life because that is a big belief when it comes to the triangles. Okay. So I believe it is reductionist to assume that there isn't other sentient life forms out there. However, I do not believe that there are aliens that have come to earth and infiltrated our government or arrived secretly to kidnap people that no. is yes that is because they would be so technologically advanced to be able to make it to us why mm. would they hide they they would be able to like snap their fingers and take over the planet i mean in their defense uh, humans are fucking insane yeah it could also true. be a, it could also be a um uh like that movie where they uh, get killed by water oh we have I so seen much that. of that we have water inside us so, like that must be really scary to them imagine if there was a being that had like acid in it if it if you bled on if it bled on you and it would kill you like that's what if we're like that and they're like wow that's scary that would be oogie spooky. Or what if we're like, or what if we're like bed bugs to them and they're just like, I don't want to fuck with that because if you have one, that means you've got an infestation somewhere. Like the bed bug infestation in Europe right now. In France, yeah. It's like they're traveling and they're they're these bed bugs are going on a vacation. They're going on a trip. Yeah, they're more well traveled than I am. Same. That's kind of sad, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. So the the. Triangles in the United States, the mm -hmm. three or I mean, you know, you have the Michigan Triangle, you have the Bennington Triangle in Vermont, Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts, and then the Alaska Triangle in uh, Alaska. And the Alaska Triangle is the only one where I'm like, OK, <laughs> OK, because it's just people disappearing into the woods. And I'm like, but Alaska, you know, like vast, large wilderness, cold temperatures. Of course, people mm -hmm. disappear there. Mm. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. That's normal. That happens. Yeah, yeah. No, that unfortunately happens all the time. But I, I think we need to talk about it. No, not the Alaska Triangle, but what also fascinates me are the items that Stephen had on his person. Can these things provide clues as to where Stephen went and what happened to him? Did he actually participate in a marathon in Wisconsin or did he just find the shirt somewhere? And if he did participate in the marathon, could we find pictures of him participating? Maybe yeah. if they did that back then. Yeah, that seems like... What year was it again? 1979? Uh, a little bit harder, but there could be. There could be. So... It could be. The thing that is important to note is that Stephen's case isn't an isolated incident. While most of the other cases never led to the discovery of the missing person, or in this case, Stephen found himself, I guess, 
Um, mm-hmm. They are bizarre and follow a trend. And that trend are triangles and other weird paranormal things. And there are dozens of documented triangles, but how many are there really? <laughs> like, we don't know. We just know because these stories became really famous and were traced back to a specific triangle. Sure. Triangle, the most, the most shape. It, you know, it could have been a coincidence that Steven disappeared where he did, but something about it makes me wonder. There are way too many unanswered questions. To make any of this make sense, we need to deep dive into other triangles and areas that may be similar, even if they aren't classified as a triangle. So to begin next episode, we will be researching similar leads in a haunting area of Vermont, which I just mentioned, the Bennington Triangle. It was the case of William Tedford that piqued my interest. He, like, literally disappeared off of a moving Greyhound bus. Oh. Again, I just feel like it's easy to fuck off, but I'll I'll hear you out. Like, off of a moving vehicle? In, that, like... The, we don't... that I Again, human error. I don't believe that. You're gonna... Well, I guess you'll tell me more about it next week, but just hearing that, I'm like, no, I can think of several ways this could have happened. Well, so for me, I don't think there's much room to argue logic, but Mm -hmm. the theories run from a wide range of a serial killer, Bigfoot and aliens. But I think there's something much more sinister going on. It seems as if there are modicums of evidence that these disappearances, because again, Tedford was not an isolated incident, can be traced back before America was colonized by the crazy people called the Quakers and Puritans. Woo! We hate them. Uh, Yes, religious freedom for me, but not for the those guys. Yeah, yeah, religious freedom for, you know, we're not going to go there. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say buckle-wearing extremists, but, you know, it's fine. Oh, I like that. You know what? I think, yeah. you know, to that backtrack... That buckle jockeys? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good name. So these incidences <laughs> can, can be traced back before America is colonized by buckle jockeys. There we go. Those with weird hats. Those, those corn stealers. I would just like to say, like, really quick before <laughs> we wrap up this episode, uh-huh. <laughs> I have this book because I collect antiquitarian books and it's like, it's it's based on the Salem Witch Trials, but <laughs> it, it, uh, the description of the book, um, says a brief relation of the sufferings of the people called Quakers. So wherein the cruel, and I'm reading this right now, the cruel whippings and scourings Bonds and imprisonings, bearings and chainings, starvings and huntings, fines and convictions, burnings in the hands, cutting off ears, orders of sales for bondmen and bondwomen, banishment upon pain of death and putting to death of those people are shortly touched upon. I'm like, wow, those people were crazy. Yeah, skill issue, honestly. Like, they they were also, like, horrible to each other. Yeah. And you know, hey, some things never change. literally literally so let's close the case file for today on Stephen Kubaki again next time we will be talking about da 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 triangles and um for those of you who love aliens and love sci-fi and monsters and the that side the paranormal you're gonna love this episode so don't forget to follow us on all social media, haunted.detective on Instagram and haunted underscore detective on TikTok. And then it's just haunted detective on YouTube. So, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward. Leave us a nice review. Leave a nice comment. We're sensitive. We will cry and probably shit our pants if you don't. So 
yeah and if you want to find me i am the underscore indoor kid on basically every platform and if i'm not then there's just no underscore because it wouldn't allow me and uh if you want more of me uh tune into the rooster teeth podcast i host that every week with two of my buddies and we have a good time doing it so if you want that with less if you want this but not paranormal uh check it out i know i know that there's like that hashtag team griff fandom out there and mm-hmm. you can get more hashtag Team Griff on the RTP podcast on yeah, all, all platforms. Eight, all eight of you. Yeah. Including TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. YouTube, right? Yeah, we're everywhere. Everywhere. We're all over the place. You can't escape us. Yeah, you can't escape me. You can't escape Griff. You can't escape the RTP podcast. Like, this is nope. basically a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> Until right. next time. Great. Bye.